One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. It's my screen time too. Welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters, we watch, you listen, find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's five, and Kenny, he's two. And I have three kids. Tony is 11 and Libby and Nate are eight. And they are so adorable, aren't they? They are generally pretty stinking adorable. We like to tell a quick story about how awesome or sometimes awful our kids are because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. My kids were telling me, Libby and Nate, they're in the same classroom this year. They were telling me about how at lunchtime which is normally like the fun time of day in an elementary school they get to watch a show now because that's like mask off time okay and they're not supposed to talk during it and so I think the teacher has been playing them a wild kratz tv show during it to keep their attention so they don't try to talk to one another and this is not like awesome or adorable it's kind of sad yeah and you can bet like three months from now when like vaccination rates are up and everything there'll be a whole panic about how watching television during their lunchtime is contributing to obesity rates oh i know when i was looking for screen time in the news i saw a headline that said watching tv is causing kids to binge eat and i just kept scrolling past that one yep yep (laughs) just wait it'll happen in three months whether you anticipate it or not (laughs) oh i'm so sorry oh how about you have your kids done anything cute lately uh this is also this is on the cuter side of not great (laughs) so jay has been coming down to sleep in our bed more often And his latest excuse is that he needs some water, which is a little silly because we leave a cup of water in his room. And if he finishes that water, he has a bathroom. Like, he can just put more water in the cup. And he knows this. But he'll come down and be like, oh, I was out of water, no matter how many times we explain it. So he was sleeping in our room, and I go to wake him up. Because, you know, daylight savings, they're sleeping a little later. You really have to prod them to get out of bed to go to school. And I said, how did you sleep? And he goes, why are you asking me how I slept? Of course I slept great. (laughs) It was just the funniest delivery. He was all cranky for the first half. I thought he was going to complain. And then he turns on his, like game show host voice it was very cute (laughs) that's cute so let's talk screen time in the news this is a disney themed episode Mm -hmm. so we read an article from the hollywood reporter by leslie goldberg titled magic kingdom tv universe in the works at disney plus ron moore who is the creator director of one of katie's favorite shows outlander recently signed 
a mega million dollar contract to develop like a universe of Mad Kingdom shows for Disney Plus. He turned down some other bigger dollar offers from other companies because he has a childhood affinity for Disney, which I thought is kind of adorable. Yeah, I found this to be really interesting on several levels. First of all, I loved Battlestar Galactica. I really love Outlander. I haven't watched Rod Moore's Apple Plus series simply because we don't pay for Apple Plus mm-hmm. um, or Apple TV Plus rather. But I'm always excited for his new projects. So that on the surface is good. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about everything having to be part of a universe now, though. Yeah, it seems like, okay, so one of the first projects is going to be set in a world where all the themed lands and characters of the Disney parks and classic films actually exist in another reality. What does that mean? It sounds very meta. I'll watch it. I'm intrigued. Yeah, from a practical perspective, when it comes to the Disney parks, they always there are always one thing now in the current iteration of the Disney company, they really want to integrate their classic park rides with existing Disney IP. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the original rides are just like fun rides and they don't have anything to do with Disney characters. So this is a way to kind of bring, bring these attractions into the Disney storytelling fold by retroactively giving them what will hopefully be very popular storylines. I was interested to see that they're starting with Frontierland and Adventureland with the uh, Society of, gosh, what is it called? The Society of Explorers or something? Yeah, and Adventurers. Um, Which makes sense because that quote-unquote organization is already kind of part of the lore so it's set up but gosh the part of the parks that really needs this kind of storytelling is obviously Tomorrowland can we please get to the Tomorrowland series I will watch Mm -hmm. it I want this area of the parks to be revitalized there that's enough of my Disney World slash Disneyland talk I'm excited. Even though it's like crass and I know they're going to want to build this overly complicated universe I'll still watch it. I'll watch it. Um, It made me think a little bit of uh, George Saunders short stories, which are often set in like a dystopia that exists in a themed adventure type park. (laughs) I don't think that's the direction that um, this director is going to go in, though. I would love if they could introduce some darkness, though. That would be (laughs) really entertaining. I mean, I look at how people have most recently embraced WandaVision um, Mm -hmm. and the little bit of darkness that that seemed to introduce and then quickly paper over in preparation for another Marvel series. So, I don't know. Cautiously optimistic given the talent involved, but I'll watch whatever Drek it turns out being for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So today, to keep with our Disney theme, we are talking about Disney's latest animated feature release, Raya and the Last Dragon. 
this just debuted on March 5th on Disney Plus for an extra premiere access fee and in theaters. So it is hot off the presses. I can't believe that we are reviewing a second Disney feature in the same year. Like we reviewed Soul and now we're reviewing this. I've never felt so on top of things before. (laughs) Right. There has been some talk in the press about Raya's box office take being disappointing in theaters, but that kind of makes me roll my eyes because we're in a pandemic and it wasn't even released in any Cinemark theaters. I don't know about where you are, Deborah, but it feels like Cinemark has the vast majority of theaters around here. I don't think we have Cinemark. Maybe it's a North-South thing. I actually have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, uh, Raya and the Last Dragon is Disney's latest princess movie. And it is about a girl called Raya who is helped by the last in a race of protector dragons in her quest to reunite the country of Kumandra and rid the world of the Droon, these purple, blobby, smoky monsters that turn people into statues. And much like Moana was set in a fantasy version of Polynesia and Frozen was set in a fantasy version of Norway, Raya is set in a fantasy version of Southeast Asia with stunningly rendered temples, rivers, and floating cities. It's really beautiful, which we'll get more into later, I'm sure. So it was Written by Kui Gwen, whose name I hope I'm not mispronouncing, who also wrote for another favorite of ours, Peg Plus Cat, the PBS series that we reviewed a while ago. And it was also written by Adele Lim, who was one of the writers of Crazy Rich Asians. It was directed by Don Hall, who directed Big Hero 6 and Moana, and Carlos Lopez Estrada, who doesn't seem to be from the Disney family. I checked out his IMDb page, um, and it seems like he's done quite a few music videos, which I didn't really realize were still a thing. Uh, But apparently they are. (laughs) Uh, And unsurprisingly, Disney has another all-star voice cast. We've got Kelly Marie Tran as Raya, Aquafina as Sisu, The Last Dragon, Daniel Day Kim as Raya's father, and Gemma Chan as Namari, who is Raya's friend slash nemesis throughout the movie. It's the latest in Disney's crop of princess movies, and I don't know why the princess movies have been working for me lately way better than like the Pixar movies have. So Mm -hmm. I was really excited to see it. Again, so psyched that we're able to get these from the comfort of our own homes because we all know that after four years of doing this podcast uh i have not been able to get my kids out to movie theaters even in pre-pandemic times i just don't trust them to sit through movies (laughs) so (laughs) we gotta strike while the iron's hot in for these at-home releases for sure so let's talk about our general thoughts concept plot it's a princess movie but also a really strong adventure story did we like it i loved it i really did um Raya is a great, I almost, I almost use the word spunky, but I feel like that is kind of reductive. She's really brave. She's really guarded. I feel like she's complex in a way that we don't necessarily think of Disney princesses as being. There was a part where she's like kind of going to a 
distant desert-like land. Mm -hmm. Um, And some people didn't think she was going to come back alive from it. it. She had a very Princess Leia vibe. Like Princess Leia was a princess, but she was a, a hearty, tough lady yeah. too. Princess and general in the resistance. Right, right. So is there a danger in asking a fantasy movie to also move representation of specific real cultures forward? We talk about this a lot when it comes to, you know, representation of, well, really any culture. Whenever we talk about a show that's the first to represent X, it comes freighted with a lot of expectations, right? Mm-hmm. And essentially, the conclusion we always come to is you just have to, like, hold your breath and wait for there to be more than one to point to. And the first one to do it always gets pilloried a little bit for not doing it well enough. Mm-hmm. I thought that... The aesthetics of this movie were really representative of what I know, what little I know about Southeast Asian culture. Like the beginning of this of the movie, where it's like 2D animation, um, kind of reminds me of, of like quilts and contemporary art I've seen from that part of the world, and actually more like immigrants living in Minnesota creating that type of art. So I liked that. It felt like familiar to me, but I hadn't seen it represented in a mainstream movie before. Mm -hmm. But it was more than just Asian cultures. So you wrote in the doc that Kelly Marie Tran has come out in support of the theory that Raya had romantic feelings toward Namari. I cannot wait until Disney or like any other big children's media company can just rip this band-aid off and it doesn't have to be up to like brave actors to be like oh yeah I agree with that interpretation I just want it I want it to be overt so we don't have to tiptoe around it and like we can have representation without Disney also being able to be like, oh, no, it's okay. That's not really what we meant. Like, if you choose to take it that way, that's fine. But we didn't really – it's like, stop being on both sides of the fence here, guys. Just just do it for real. Yeah, it was very subtle. It did occur to me when I was watching it that I was like, wow, this is a princess movie without a prince. And then I was like, well, maybe – it's a princess plus princess movie because there was some, I mean, it's a kid's movie. It wasn't like sexual tension between the two protagonists, but it was like a attractiveness tension. Yeah. And their interaction when they were children, getting to know one another and becoming friends, if that had been a prince and a princess, they would have used that as a foundation for the fact that they would later fall in love and get married, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they had a very uh, Aladdin and Jasmine type of not getting along, but a love-hate relationship, I guess. I also found this quote by Adina Menzel, because, you know, there was also talk of Elsa being a representational figure for the LGBTQ community because she didn't have a prince either. Mm-hmm. And so Adina Menzel said... I think it's great. Disney's just got to contend with that. I'll let them figure that out. And I just, I can't wait for the day when they don't have to grasp for these figures. Like, let's just let people see themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally. So thoughts on the cast? 
All right, so you already know I really liked Raya as a protagonist. I love the whole aspect of her being, like, the whole point of the movie is she's super reluctant to trust people because the one time she trusted someone, it just went horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just felt like that was a mature portrait of something a character could be going through beyond what we've thought of as our stereotypical princess motivations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really liked uh, Sisu the dragon voiced by pod favorite Aquafina. She was really good. And there was that animal sidekick named Tuk Tuk. So what is Tuk Tuk? Was he like I couldn't tell if he was like an armadillo or if he was like an overgrown roly-poly bug. Yeah, exactly. He looked like a was roly-poly insect but or mammal. He has he had like a furry face, so that to me <laughs> says mammal, but he rolled up like a pill bug and I don't know, it was really cute. I found it successful, not overpresent to be annoying. But I did not like Tuk Tuk as much as Hey Hey. If we're like raiding Disney animal sidekicks, is Hey Hey the brainless chicken from yeah. Moana? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mo- hey Hey has a lot more comedic value. Yeah, I think they're both voiced by Alan Tudyk, though. Oh, funny! <laughs> I think Disney just calls him and is like, "Can you make some grunts into the microphone for us?" He's like, "Hey, okay, sure." <laughs> So who stood out to you in the voice cast? I will admit that I didn't immediately recognize Kelly Marie Tran's voice, mostly because the thing that I knew her from is the Star Wars franchise, and because they rudely sidelined her character for the last movie, I hadn't heard her in a while, because I hadn't rewatched the newer Star Wars movies. Um, It did occur to me to wonder whether this was Disney apologizing to Kelly Marie Tran for her horrible experience with the Star Wars franchise by being like, you know what's even more culturally enduring? A Disney princess. Here you go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I thought she did great. Sandra Oh played Namari's mother and she gets only slightly more to do than she did in Over the Moon. Yeah, it's interesting to see her in both of these movies because it's reductive to say that the Asian setting made me compare the two but it did for better or worse yeah well and we just watched that too Mm -hmm. so what did you think about the look of the movie it felt so weighty Mm. you know the sense of like precipitation being in the air but not falling Mm -hmm. I got that feeling very tangibly from so many settings like the air feels wet which I thought was really impressive. Yeah. I thought the colors were very saturated, mm-hmm. which is maybe added to that feeling. Can we talk about Sisu a little bit? Yeah, of course. Okay. So when animators try to create dragons, I feel like it doesn't always work to have a friendly dragon because they're supposed to be like a really fierce creature. Jeremy and I were talking about it. He was like, yeah, she was like a snake bird more than a dragon. I don't know. It was like, she's a good character. She's a good dragon, not at all evil. So for me, it wasn't like a totally believable rendering of a dragon. Is that an Eastern-Western cultural divide, though? Because aren't dragons more benevolent? 
benevolent in Eastern cultures versus the like fearful dragons that the knights have to slay in Western cultures. Hmm. That's interesting. I have no idea. I just kind of assumed that, but maybe that's exposing my own cultural ignorance. I was worried when Aquafina first appeared or like when you first saw Sisu and you heard her voice, I cringed a little bit inside because I was like, ooh, is she going to be like doing a Robin Williams as the genie shtick for the whole movie? But thankfully, I thought she moved past that. Either she moved past that or I got over it and I grew to appreciate her portrayal. But at first, I was definitely kind of like tensing up inside, wondering (laughs) that she was going to just like lay it on too thick. But I thought Sisu ended up feeling like a very sincere character by the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally likable. Just me, the body was just so skinny <laughs> for a dragon. Well, she had <laughs> been like living alone in a cave for how many years? That's true. <laughs> Thoughts on the music? After Disney's stunningly successful run of musicals with The Little Mermaid, Aladdin... Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King. They transitioned away from musicals and nothing good came of it. Why would they cut music out now when they've had such success with Tangled, Frozen, and Moana? It's weird because if you had told me before I watched this movie that there was no music, I would have been really sad and really worried. But Mm -hmm. I watched it not knowing that in advance. And I honestly didn't miss it until I thought about it afterwards. How about you? Yeah, I think it was a really good movie. I don't think it needed to be a musical, but the music is like one of the best things about Disney movies usually. I know. I think this was a really good example of a movie without music, but I hope they don't take this to mean they don't need music anymore going forward. Yeah, this movie will definitely not be as enduring in like my family's Mm-hmm watching habits because my kids liked it a lot but it's not like they're going to be singing songs from it until everybody's sick of it yeah that's what makes it stick is listening to the soundtrack Mm -hmm. afterwards Mm -hmm. and that's sad because i thought it was a really fun movie Mm -hmm. so shall we move on to our evergreen questions let's do it oh actually can we talk for a minute about this versus soul Sure, yeah. Because we did review Soul earlier in the year, and that is was Pixar's big release for 2020. And, you know, Pixar is a Disney company. But as I said in our Soul review, they've kind of scratched out this place being like the really existential plot-y arm of the Disney company. Mm-hmm. And to me, this movie, Raya and the Last Dragon, was... You know, it definitely had some serious themes, but it was not as self-consciously dour or doer, however you pronounce that word, as soul. Yeah, I mean, it had conflict, because no movie would be watchable without (laughs) conflict. But it felt more like a classic hero goes on a quest journey. Maybe it just boils down to the fact that I am ultimately a child and I don't want my plots to be complicated. So I liked this more than the other. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. Soul was like so existential. Yeah, this I liked. I enjoy. I just this was a more enjoyable experience. I think both are good movies. But for watching a movie for 
watching a movie for fun, I would totally pick this over Soul. Yeah, and just remembering how much my like Twitter feed blew up for like a week when Soul was released, I have heard nary a peep about Riot and the Last Dragon, which makes me a little sad. And I know mm-hmm. there were questions of representation having to do with Soul, and that's kind of what got it a lot of press, but I think it would be sad for this movie to be overlooked, because it was also beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you mind having to pay the extra $30 for it? Not when I think about how much it used to cost to go to the theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I didn't mind it. See, it was worth it. How about you? I think so, too. I'm happy to have it. Happy pay for this product, which I consider to be a good product. Mm-hmm. All right. Evergreen, evergreen questions. Did you compare this to a grown-up movie or TV show? I could not stop thinking about the never-ending story, which is not an adult film, but it is a film I enjoyed as a child very, very much that had a dragon in it. (laughs) Yes! Oh my gosh, because Falcor, the luck dragon, had coloring very similar to Sisu's. How about you? All right, so not a movie, but a book that I think would actually maybe make a good movie uh, that I read... And you'll have to forgive me because I read it when Kenny was an infant. So it was kind of in that like hazy period where Mm -hmm. things stuck as impressions and maybe not as actual (laughs) facts that I remember. But this book was called The Priory of the Orange Tree. And it was kind of about it's a fantasy book, but it was set in a world where there was this stark dichotomy between the Eastern culture that worshipped dragons and considered them to be these sort of benevolent protectors and the western culture that feared dragons and um, thought of them as a big threat Uh, so that definitely came to mind when I was watching this movie and it's a good book I will uh, try to link to it on our Facebook page okay did you cast the gritty HBO reboot? I have a total cop out for this because every time we watch an animated movie with a good voice cast, I'm like, yeah, I could totally just watch that live action. <laughs> I would cast Michelle Rodriguez as Raya. She's tough. I like it. Been up to. I don't think I've seen her in anything lately, but I loved her back in the day in Lost. And also, I would cast Chloe Sevigny as Namari. I can't with her. I've, I've <laughs> never been able to get on the Chloe Sevigny bandwagon. I find her insufferable. Oh. To me, she's right um, up there with Lena Dunham, who I know you also enjoy. I do enjoy her. <laughs> um, and then I didn't... Okay, what's the actor who played Glenn on Walking Dead? Oh, uh, Stephen Yoon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would cast him as the dad, maybe. Maybe just because he's been in Minari. Did you watch it? I haven't, but I have read a couple articles about it. Really looking forward to it. Was he nominated for an Oscar? I'm not sure. I haven't even looked at the nominations. That's how out of touch I am. And are we still doing award shows? I don't know. But yes. (laughs) (laughs) They're not fun to watch when everyone's at home i know i know do you think it was better when we were kids did we have any big like dragon movies well the never-ending story yeah (laughs) which holds up have you watched it with your kids not yet it holds up we watched it with jay probably when he was too young to have seen it 
thankfully I don't think he remembers it or he might be traumatized (laughs) but it was still good it wasn't like you know how sometimes when you watch movies with your childhood from your childhood you have to just remember that you liked them as a child and they might be horrible now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it didn't have that feeling like good the effects you know we've obviously moved forward in terms of visual effects they're so analog that you almost don't like grade them on the same curve Mm -hmm. so yeah I would say recommend watching with your kids but it'll probably be scary (laughs) I couldn't think of any dragon movies either yeah this is better and in terms of Disney princesses like we had the classics the Cinderella the Snow White and we had the more contemporary Ariel who were all in the like Barbie doll mode of unattainable beauty and whiteness and so this is really refreshing compared to what was available to us when we were children and they are helpfully moving at least incrementally away from the stories being all about the princesses getting married and living happily ever after Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is nice to see oh my gosh there was this moment when raya was looking at her father and she made this face that was just like the face that like elsa makes when she sees like a phantom version of her mother and her like eyebrows crinkled like she was smiling but she was about to cry and I think that is my favorite modern Disney animation face it's just so relatable (laughs) like the happy tear face yeah (laughs) do you think you'd ever watch this alone voluntarily Mm, probably not would you I don't think I would and like you were saying earlier I think it's unfortunately going to be one of those Disney movies that I'm going to have to press on my kids just because of the lack of music. So I'm definitely looking forward to watching it again. And much like I would have to if I watched it alone, I will have to be the one making the conscious choice because I don't think either of my kids are going to think to ask for it. Yeah, I'll definitely push it for family movie night again just because I want to get my $30 first. Oh, yeah. And it has a lot of good fight sequences, too. So I feel like for me, it's a good trade-off when Jay is like begging to watch something like Power Rangers or something that I don't care for or I don't consider to be appropriate. I would Mm -hmm. happily reach for this as an alternative that I find acceptable. So with that in mind, 10 seconds on whether it's good for our kids, I kind of just answered that. What do you think? I think it's good. It was fun. Yeah, there's definitely some sad, intense emotional moments, but there's a lot of action to balance it out, which was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Ratings? I'm going to give it a four and a half. Me too. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you listeners for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. You can check out our website at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on all the social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even on Gmail at myscreentime2. Send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more Real Talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye. Bye.